0: Eric Sonderman is a longtime Colorado politico. Starting his career firmly planted in the democratic apparatus, he came to challenge much of what the left worked for, including union-run education. As a political commentator today, he challenges both left and right to think differently. I'm John Caldera, president of Independence Institute, and this is the audio version of our television show, Devil's Advocate. You can watch that program by going to youtube.com and searching for our channel, IITV. That stands for Independence Institute TV, or just go to thinkfreedom.org. I hope you enjoy this discussion. Yeah, we get a lot of feedback on the show and what I always hear is, we just don't get enough of just two old guys complaining about Colorado politics. <laughs> so I got the guy who who's just the best at it. You know him, you love him from stage and screen. Eric Sonderman from well everywhere. SE Two, what is that show that sometimes airs uh, airs on channel? Right. Yeah, be, right, right before you. Yeah, I think the the it's one that the kills. lead
1: in that you lose
0: programming I, afterwards. I do, yeah. I do. Yeah. And of course out. from the Gazette's newspapers in Colorado politics, uh the one that makes me look such so good in comparison, so I appreciate that. <laughs> How long have you been doing the columns, by the way? It's, it's uh, been for, coming up
1: on four years, four years yeah. this fall. Uh, it's, a, it's a nice outlet for me. Are I've, you technically retired as a political operative? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I never say never if there's the right contract. Uh, not in raw politics. See, I'm not doing campaigns. But no, I left SE2. It's hard to believe it's nine years ago now. Really? I sold it to my partners the SC2 then. 2 was Eric as Sonderman plus 2 Eric's cuz my partner at that point in time was still there Eric Anderson is another another E
0: it was a convoluted way of getting SC2 and as far as all the politico hitmen types your operation was a bit more subtle than most you know there were there were those guys you hire them they run campaigns they yell and scream they buy a lot of media they they take their 15 to 20% of the media yours was a bit more, um, I wouldn't say backroom Dr. Evil kind of stuff, but no, no you, you gave more long-term consulting to, to some of the clients and had a much more long-term perspective. Would yeah, that really, a bit, way I, to put it? Yeah, I and mean, SC2 these days is a different firm than when
1: I was there, and in some ways probably making more money. but. Uh, First of all, we were much more middle of the road. Some issues we might, on healthcare access, whatever, lean a little more left, on education issues, choice, uh, tax credits, et cetera, et cetera. We certainly leaned more right, and we weren't doing candidate campaigns. We'd tackle an occasional ballot issue, but it was much more, you know, trying to influence public policy over the long term, not just running a campaign.
0: Uh, somebody who left, you can say that, the Republican Party, but I left it when uh, they got the open primary. And I was like I, I live in Boulder. There, there is no Republican primary right. in Boulder. So being unaffiliated I got to mess around in any primary I wanted. You left the Democratic Party way back when? Probably yeah. back in the mid-90s. I
1: don't have a magic when it, when it was date. A, when it was a
0: much bigger deal. When I, mean, I, was, I, I, I grew up
1: I grew up, you know, in a Democratic household. My dad was a college professor. Uh, I grew up doing Democratic politics. I worked for, I did Floyd Haskell, which is a big oh my name. Lord. Big name from the past. That was my first campaign. For, and for, then,
0: for anybody under... Uh, under, uh, 100. Uh, under 100. Under <laughs> exactly. 100.
1: I don't remember. And then I did Dick Lamb, but, who was my friend and mentor, and I know yeah. you were close to Dick as well, and we lost him
0: two summers ago. And, and that was, Can I just take a yeah. side? I have never met a more open-minded, more willing to to challenge his own premises politician, uh, open thinker than than Dick Lamb. In, well, in my, I, I agree with that, and he's not just my
1: role model in other respects, but he's my role model in terms of thinking for yourself. And you know, Dick and I didn't share all the same conclusions on immigration yep. issues. We were somewhat different on some other issues as well. But the column you wrote, John, back in July or August uh, two years ago after after uh, the governor passed away was dead on the mark and it didn't come from the quote usual source who right. agreed I, with him on most I disagree- issues. I
0: disagreed with him on just about everything, exactly. but to, to be befriended by him later on in my life um, was just one of the greatest honors I've, I've ever had. And there was nothing that Dick enjoyed more than a robust
1: intellectual conversation there was nothing he disdained more than a bunch of yes people who just oh whatever you say, Governor, I agree. He wanted people
0: who would take him on and and disagree and push him, and he'd push back. He would invite me at least once a semester, you know, once a year to to be the guest lecturer in his in his class at DU, uh, and he would never say because I want them to you yeah. know, learn something. It was usually because I. I'm fanatical about having the other side being represented, which was his polite way of saying, I, "I want the evil side to be to be heard." And I was always asked these kids, "Do you have any idea who this guy is?" And they do, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like, "Do you have any idea what a piece of history is 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 in front of you?" And he was always really humble about that. I I, I really miss the guy. Anyway, I mean, so yeah. you know, I grew up doing Democratic politics,
1: then did a lot of consulting, maybe through the 1980s, early 90s on this and that Democratic campaign. And in the mid-90s, I came to a few conclusions. I was tired of flacking for any Democrat with a check and a nice pitter-patter. I wanted to develop my own voice instead of just reflecting other people's voices. Uh, And I was doing my own ideological evolution, I'd you say in the teachers'
0: union, let's be I, honest. I
1: didn't, you know, I didn't go completely to the dark side, but I became an unaffiliated voter, and not only in name, but in in fact as well. Yeah, this whole school choice issue for me, dating back to the mid-90s, was very formative. And I finally came to the conclusion, and one of these days I'll write it up, I actually think I have the liberal side, quote unquote, of that argument. I think I have the egalitarian side of that argument. If, if you're from an upscale family that's had good economic fortune, and I put myself in that category, you have all the school choice there is. You can go to private school, you can move to any suburb, upscale suburb you want uh, to send your kid to schools there. Uh, if you are of lesser economic means, that's who is, at least back in that era, before we even had charter schools and open enrollment and what have you, those were the families that were stuck really without options in dead-end schools. And it just appalled me the manner in which so many Democrats defended what I regarded as
0: the indefensible. Well, fortunately, that's changed 100%, and Democrats have become the uh, standard bearers for educational choice today and work so hard to, to liberate kids from, from a failing system. There are, there are outliers here and there, um, and I'll give credit
1: to those outliers, but no, the epicenter of the Democratic Party can still be found
0: very, very near to the teachers' union office. All right, so let me use that as a springboard. Independence Institute, um, I'll take credit for this even though I had nothing to do with it and I wasn't involved at the time, was a leader in pushing for school choice and pushing for charter schools at the time. Uh, Dave Devlin, who helped found uh, the institute along with John Andrews, was a big proponent of charter schools and it was Independence Institute's work that brought forward, uh, ended up being the legislation that became um, the charter school legislation, one of the first states to bring forward charter schools. And it was signed by Roy, Roy Romer, Romer 30 a years Democrat, ago. 30 years ago. And, and so here we are celebrating 30 years of charter school successes. If, it was, if charter schools were, its, were their own school district, they'd be about 13% of all kids. Right. It would be the largest school district in the state. An overwhelming success, and has really helped a lot of kids, particularly in those small areas, those inner city schools where they have no choice, the people you're talking about. Uh, and still, they're under attack, underfunded. Uh, they're told that they're private schools. And still 30 years later, here we are you know, you, you've met my son, and when I, before I even had kids, I was like, by the time I have kids, educational choice, full-on vouchers will certainly be there. I mean, I knew this as fact. It's like, there's just no way to stop this charge. I looked at what was going on in, in uh, um, uh, Milwaukee and other places where you had not just choice in the system but actual vouchers to go get private schools and I was certain that by the time I had kids and by the time they went to school and now my kids are out of the system and still there isn't much choice and given what we have in Colorado there will not be any private school choice and in fact we're playing defense to keep what choice we have inside the government system. Sadly, I largely agree with your analysis. I flash back to
1: 1998, so a full 25 years ago now, and I led working with Steve Shuck, who along with Dick um, Lamb and others in a different way is a, uh, somebody I've certainly looked up to and learned indeed. lessons from uh, in my life. Uh, but working with Steve Shuck, even Tom Tancredo, your predecessor in this job, and Tom and I have fallen apart on some other issues, uh, including our recently former president and and uh, some immigration issues as well but on school choice issues tom was ahead of his time and and right on the mark and anyway long story short you know i was the main consultant on a voucher campaign in 1998 now the good news about that campaign is that it was the first voucher effort anywhere in the country to clear the 40% threshold the bad news is there's a long way from 40 to 50. <laughs> and, you know, I think we got 41 or some number in that ballpark. And, you know, I guess that was a high watermark, but they don't pay off on on uh, high watermarks. They pay off on 50 plus one. Uh, and I think Democrats, you know, I, I just don't understand it on that issue, both on the level of voters who just... And, and particularly as the progressive quote-unquote wing of that party has become more ascendant, why even leave vouchers aside, leave the V word aside, leave tax credits aside, let's just deal with charters, let's just deal with public school choice, take private school choice off the table, and why are they so reflexively, instinctively hostile to even that, and of course it you know, dates a little lot back to unions and union
0: control and union contracts. And Well, it's this kind of empire building mm-hmm. that one size fits everybody. Mind you, I feel as passionately about that issue as you do, I feel about that about mobility, in that you, you can't have educational choice without mobility choice. I'm not just talking economic, but actual where your feet go. Show me a man who's limited to how far his feet will go, and I'll show you a man in despair. And so we've built this transit system that is made to keep people on the lowest rung of of the economic ladder, and it's the same thing. And so we build a system to keep people down. And if you have money, you're fine. If you have money, you use Uber. You use Uber, Uber, you use Lyft, or you... uh, You use the train to go to the Nuggets game and leave parking behind, or you go downtown and leave your parking Someplace exactly. That's not why we pay one of the most expensive taxes in the nation. It was made to help people who don't have mobility. I, I, I've admired you on this issue. I don't have the same
1: passion for this issue that I do for the school the, choice it, issue. It hurts
0: the same people. I, understand. And I remember a, a girl who was given a private scholarship uh, through ACE, oh, right? a scholarship program, and she had to spend two hours each way on buses to get to the school of her choice. Um, instead, her family just needed a car. That's it, just a car. Hey, I wanna switch gears. Uh, Denver has a brand new mayor, uh, and I couldn't be more excited because I'm tired of the crime, I'm tired of the, of, of the transient issue. Uh, I'm not gonna call a homeless because we live near it, and it's just, I'm tired of stepping over passed out bodies. I am thrilled that that Mike Johnston is going to take care of the homeless issue in four short years. I know it took Hickenlooper 10 years to end the problem permanently. I'm thrilled the new guy is going to do it in four. I need your take on the new mayor.
1: I regard Mike, and Mike is a friend. Mike and his wife. He's a great guy. And Tracy and I have had dinner on a few occasions in in years now. He's an affable, affable guy. And on education issues, he's more right than a whole lot of Democrats have been. And let's give him credit for that that obviously wasn't something he ran on in, in in this latest race Mike is very able Mike is very ambitious Mike and I wrote it's a column as we tape that I uh, that I just wrote in the form of a memo a 10-point memo to the new mayor and you know I think the biggest challenge facing Mike excuse me mayor-elect Johnston is, the transition, not in the sense of just picking a cabinet, picking a chief of staff, picking other staff people, but the mindset transition that Mike Johnston needs to go through from being a consummate candidate, and he's been on this trail for a long time now, seeking a very high-level position, which he finally achieved. The transition and this isn't from, his first one. No. And the transition from that to being a sober chief executive, willing to stand up to powerful powerful political forces within your own party and within your own constituency. I thought the four-year pledge, I actually understood Hickenlooper's 10-year pledge. First of all, way back when the homeless, no, you didn't. The, homeless plan, the problem was not what it is today. Secondly, as then-Mayor Hickenlooper said, you know, John F. Kennedy didn't promise to go 75% of the way to the moon he promised to go to the moon, that you have to set a marker out there. And Hickenlooper set the marker in his own unique branding way. But it's one thing to do that, and uh, I don't know what that time was, 2005, 2007, somewhere in that time frame. It's another thing in 2023, with the magnitude of the problem we have now, to say, I and I alone am gonna fix this in four years. I think that takes a bit of hubris. Uh, I wish him well. Uh, But, you know, I'd be willing to go to Vegas and cover the bet.
0: Hickenlooper said afterwards, come on, nobody, nobody took me seriously. He admitted as much. You can shrug shrug your shoulders, but he wasn't serious when he said it. And he had copped to saying, hey, nobody took me seriously when I said it. It's just Mm -hmm. one of those things you say. Kennedy was serious. At least I think he was serious. We took him seriously. The money was spent, the goal was spent, we were in a space race and we won it. It was a specific goal. Uh, Hickenlooper, being Hickenlooper, just said something goofy and then put out, spent money. And I'll say it as an economist say, what you subsidize, you get more of. So. He spent four times as much on homeless. We got four times as many homeless. Uh, the services went up. The homeless industrial complex went up. And we said, come on in, boys. And they came in. And then, and then a whole new thing happened. The George Floyd uh, protests came in. Legalizing weed came in. Other things came in. And most importantly, crime, the signal came, we're not going to punish you. There will be no, there, there, are, there are no consequences for right. whatever you do. And literally, I step over bodies. The other day going to lunch, we stepped around, passed out people on the sidewalk. So if you were in a wheelchair or in crutches, you would not be able to, you would be immobile because there are passed out people. Um, and they weren't. It wasn't even Dave <laughs> Copel. So, I mean, it was, uh, and so this, this is unrealistic. I'll, I'll give you my quick appraisal. He is an amazing guy. He is an ideas guy. I don't know if he has the follow through to get this done. I fear he's going to be chewed up and spit out. I fear he's not going to be, stand, be able to stand up to the woke mob that helped put him in, into office. Um, I'm not a fan of Kelly Bruff by any means. I fought her on tax increase after tax increase after tax increase. But she was an executive and knows how to, knows how to get things done. I fear that Mike is going to get run over in this job.
1: I think Mike is able enough that he will not be run over, will not give the, it will not ever look evident that he's been run over. I think we will know in a number of years down the road from the results. I mean, homelessness was a problem that bedeviled Mayor Webb at a lower level before John Hickenlooper took office, eight eight years after Hickenlooper uh, as mayor, it was far worse than when he came in and made the 10-year pledge. And now we've had 12 years of Michael Hancock, and yes, we've had a pandemic, and yes, we've had George Floyd, and yes, we've had this, that, and the other, but there is no way you can look at Denver today and argue that it is in better shape than it was 12 years ago. Will this turn, if this substantially reverses course but homelessness is not gone in four years. Mike Johnson will be able to you know, look in the camera and say we've made major progress. I think the fear is that the town continues to sort of go downhill. We live mostly these days up in the mountains near Tabernash, it's about 75% up there, 25% here in Denver. What is the address of your place in Tabernash? Yeah, exactly, we'll talk. Um, but given that i'm not in denver every day i'm in denver for like three days every 10 days or two weeks i think you almost see it with fresher eyes yep. and it makes more of an impression on you
0: it's what um, is that impression
1: it's a sad, Be honest. it's a it's um it's both sad and in many cases it's repellent now there are certainly parts of Denver. I mean, we're taping on what we hope is the cusp of a Nuggets uh, championship. I I agree with you. The Avalanche, you know, Coors Field, even though the team is awful, is still a nice place to go. We go to the symphony. There are still wonderful pieces of Denver and they are neat parks and all the rest. But the everyday experience of being
0: in Denver is not an overwhelmingly wonderful experience. Repellent is a the right word for this. And it's why people don't want to work downtown. It's why people don't want to live downtown. It's why people, you know, even coming out of these events, I've heard of, of the assaults, I've heard of the messes, I've heard of, it's, it's awful. Um, the, the pledge of, of, of fixing this, it cannot be fixed and still have the support of people who've endorsed the mayor-elect. Lisa Calderon and Representative Harad are not going to be supportive of what it takes to clean up the mess that is downtown. That just cannot happen. And so you look at the, the folks who endorsed him. I'll, I'll use the term the woke force, uh, folks or the uh, those who who celebrate being oppressed, they will not be in the corner of what it takes to clean up Denver. It just it won't. So he's going to have to make a tough decision. Does he anger the, the, those who, who look to be oppressed, those who celebrate their oppression uh, daily and make it their calling card, those who, who revel in their identity politics? I don't think he's gonna be able to stand up to that crowd. And if he doesn't stand up to that crowd, I don't see how this changes. Am I, I mean, wrong? What I,
1: what, what I learned, going back to Dick Lamb here, what I learned from Dick Lamb, and he certainly learned it from other politicians before him, but the lesson he would preach to me and others is that the first gift, or the first real skill of politics is you have to be able to say no to your friends. Dealing with your adversaries in politics, that's part and parcel yeah. of the job. What's really hard in politics is dealing with your allies and your friends. Mike Johnston is going to be put to the test here. He's going to be put to the test early. He's going to be put to the test even during the transition period of his ability to say no to his friends. My number one fear about Mike, and it relates to what you're saying, John, it's, he is so patently ambitious. No one believes that being mayor of Denver is his political terminus. No one thinks that all the money that came into, this, into his independent expenditure group from the Michael Bloomberg's and Reid Hoffman's and others of the world were because they really care all that much about who the mayor of Denver, Colorado is. It was an investment in this talented person's future. He, I, I worry that he is going to feel compelled to protect his left political flank.
0: As our governor does.
1: As our governor does. And, you know, our governor can more get away with it, being at the state capitol, being one level removed from direct law enforcement, being one level removed from dealing with homeless encampments, et cetera, et cetera. Being governor is more of a policy job. Being mayor of a major urban city, it's a gritty job. You
0: get your fingernails dirty, you're dealing with... You choose the chief of police. Exactly. You choose the guy who runs the park and wrecks. You choose how the water system is going to be run. You choose how the homeless system is going to be run. It is a hands-on job. It's a hands-on job. I wrote a column a couple months ago, a, a,
1: a testimonial, actually, to Alan Salazar, who's someone yep. an who I really admire. Incredibly, an incredibly talented man. A, who's been Mayor Hancock's chief of staff for basically the second half of Hancock's six years, and to Alan's credit, with rare exceptions, he walked the length of the 16th Street Mall every day. And he felt he just needed to do it to get a sense of what was going on. And sometimes he'd be on his cell phone calling for, you know, we need help on this corner, we need help here, whatever. But mostly it was just uh, taking in
0: the lay of the land, taking in the magnitude of what they were up against. Do you agree with me? that he cannot solve the homeless and crime problem without angering the crowd I just described. I agree. There there goes my appointment in that administration. I don't think you were gonna get appointed anyway. (laughs) Nor would I think you would take it if it was offered. (laughs) Let's move from that part of of Civic Park up to the the Capitol. Uh, I'm noticing a power struggle And it ain't within the Republican ranks. I believe the Republican Party is uh, basically non-existent in state politics. I believe that the Republican Party will be a regional party for the next eight to 10 years, maybe longer. That means in in the hinterlands, it'll still be long. There'll be Republican folks, but we won't see any Republican majorities eh, for eight to 10 years. And and the way that's in disarray, who knows? I'm beginning to see French Revolution-style um, uh, power grabs on the super majorities that, that the left has. I'm starting to see them eat their own. Now, we talked about Roy Romer. Colorado Democrats, yeah, they were liberal, but Roy Romer sold John Deere equipment, all right? He, he knew what farmers needed. He understood that farmers had needed water, that they, they needed certain property rights, that they, they, they had to have business-friendly environments. Oh, and that they sold beef, even though he did not like eating beef himself, even though that was a bit of a secret. Um, did not know that. Oh yeah, you go to the Cattlemen's Association, you have a few bites and then he kinda cover the other stuff up with his uh, mashed potatoes. Was, uh, what, what I heard, I didn't see it, but, I'll, but it's a fun story. But right now you've got you've got progressives having fist fights with ultra-socialists uh, at the capitol and the most fascinating part was when republicans walked out of the state house and you still saw the fights going on on what what do you see i see largely what you see republicans sadly because i believe Any
1: level of government is improved with a viable two-party system and two competitive political parties. But Republicans, and we can get into that if you want, in this state have
0: become an afterthought. I don't think it's even worth getting into. Okay. Do you? I mean, what? what? Whatever. Well, let's get into it in 10 years when when they rebuild. How's that? uh,
1: Republicans, I think we can agree, are an afterthought around the state capitol these days. The action is on the Democratic side of the aisle. I note, with all due respect to our governor, sort of almost the irony, I'm not sure that's the right word, that somebody who comes pretty far from the left, yes, he'll have a libertarian inclination. No, he doesn't. Now, that
0: is a PR stunt, now, virus song.
1: Now one. and then, but more often then than now. But that he is the check and balance. He's the more moderate. Oh, he is the only, he's he's the the, only he's, check he's, and balance. He's, he's the brake pedal. And when you consider where, scary is that? where Jared Polis came from, and that he is now the brake pedal, yes, he vetoed ten bills this year. Good for him. He found his veto. most of
0: them are meaningless, except a, except couple, a couple. A couple were, couple were, saying, were couple was was
1: the, the, the housing bill and whatever. Right. There were a couple significant vetoes there. So at least give some credit. I'll give huge credit on cre- the housing bill where credit is right. due. Uh, but you know, you talked about Roy Romer. Well, who is the next? Democratic governor after Roy Romer was Bill Ritter, prosecutor. Mm-hmm. Who was the next one after Bill Ritter? It was John Hickenlooper? So terrible.
0: Liber- by the way, both of them were terrible administrators because they never had to administrate. You know, they. You know, uh, they. They. One was a DA, uh, did not understand, uh, did not understand how state government worked. Hickenlooper was a mayor, left it all to his guys, still didn't understand how the state worked. Polis knows how the oh,
1: state works. Polis is the strongest governor this state has had, so certainly in my memory, arguably forever. Now, COVID, a, a little pandemic, had a certain something to do with that. It but it's e- amazing what
0: emergency powers gives the governor. E-
1: exactly. But even taking the pandemic out of it, he just, Jared Diggs, excuse me for using first names, but uh, the governor digs deep down into state government. He doesn't just deal at the surface level. Mm -hmm. I think early on, I don't know this firsthand, but I was told that some of his advisors said, Governor, you really need to focus on two or three things. If you have more than two or three priorities, they're all gonna get lost. And I'm told the response they got was to the effect of, I have more bandwidth than that. And he might be right about that. He does have very substantial bandwidth, but he is a hands-on manager. Sometimes I've said with a degree of a, a jab attached that, you know, when you spend thirty million dollars or whatever it costs to buy a toy, well, you own the toy. And he spent the better part of thirty million dollars back, uh, oh, yeah. back in twenty eighteen to get elected. And and then, uh, obviously, didn't require that much, but still substantial money to get reelected. And it's, it's his baby, and no one is going to take that baby away from him. But yes, when you look at the Democratic caucus in both the House and Senate, particularly the House, um, you have a wing of that caucus, and it's not a one- or two-person wing. It's a significant wing that is way out there on on the left flank. And the
0: moderate wing ain't that Moderate. Right. That's, that's the amazing thing. And for those of us who remember Democratic um, majorities and Democratic governors, because we're old men and we remember that Colorado Democrats were ranchers and union guys. The, the Pueblo Democrats uh, were not communists. They were union guys, but they weren't hardcore intellectual elitist socialists it was a different thing
1: let me let me and, uh, if i can just yeah, jump please. in on that but also in that era i totally agree with your analysis but also in that era republicans were not the republicans of today republicans were insurance republican legislators were business people insurance salesmen attorneys farmers ranchers what
0: have you but and tax th- increasers which is why we had to go to the people to get Tabor and other things f- fair enough but you know, I, I often use the football metaphor, you know,
1: and when you and I grew up, John, I, I, I argued that- I'm not nearly as old as you, old That man. is That is accurate. Um, but, you know, there was, to use a football field, 100 yards. Democrats uh, played maybe on the left-hand 40-yard line. Yeah. Republicans played maybe on the right-hand 40-yard line. Right. You had, yeah, there was a gap in between, but it was a 20-yard gap, and you could sometimes navigate that gap. Now you have Repub- Democrats playing by the left-hand end <laughs> zone, Republicans are in the right-hand end zone when they're not out in the cheap seats or the parking lot or crazy land. <laughs> and, you know, the, the, the gap is just immense and it's not navigable.
0: Let me throw this one at you. And, and since you also play now in the media, and you always have as, as part of your PR jobs, uh, but also as a commentator, What I'm waiting for is for the media to wake up on this and that I have found that the media has been very gentle with the left. They've played along and they've been stooges, my term, for the left for a long time. And they haven't quite woken up to the fact that there is no right to beat up now. You can go ahead and beat up um, uh, on the Republican dysfunction, but it doesn't matter. You can beat up on stupid things that are going on in the Republican Party or dumb things that somebody says in the Republican Party. It doesn't matter. There is, there is massive things going on when it comes to Democrat-on-Democrat Democrat violence. There is an amazing thing going on here. They're the only story in Colorado politics, the only conflict going on in Colorado politics is leftist on more leftist violence on should we turn into North Korea or just China, and that battle is not going to be reported on because the the media doesn't seem to catch on, and that sooner or later, they're gonna run out of stories on how to plant your petunias, and they're going to actually have to report on real politics. I'm waiting for this.
1: Well, as one small piece of the quote media, I actually take what you just said, of everything we talked about today as constructive criticism and I need to, I as one person need to take that to You're heart. You're a
0: commentator. you not a, com- a reporter. I'm, I'm, I'm a I'm commentator and I'm not an everyday
1: reporter. But even as a commentator, I'm in a small way guilty of that. Do Republicans, particularly those who operate in crazy town, That's make, easy, it, make it too easy. That's the word I was going to use. But it's meaningless. I'm not, I'm not convinced of Donald Trump and the threat of Donald Trump is a meaningless threat. No, no, no. Uh, but, me, in, but, me, in colo- but in, Colorado. But in, in Colorado. Colorado, Tina Peters, that column writes itself. Lauren Boebert, that column writes itself. You can phone it in, it takes me an hour to write it. I, hang on these a second. Are, this is, yeah. I, I, I get the but point you're the making.
0: Po- when, let's see, when progressives own every level of power, from, Repub- from uh, uh, governor, all four uh, constitutional seats, uh, the House, the Senate, the courts, by supermajorities. <laughs> by supermajorities, they own every major city except for Aurora, um, and now the Republicans don't even own Colorado Springs any longer. You know, that's not the story, and so when, uh, when Dave Williams says something nutty, who cares? And when there's an infighting, In the Republic, who cares? They are in a super minority. That's it is an inconsequential moot story. And my sense is it is going to be for the next eight, 10, 12 years. But the media has been so hungry and trained to be in my my terms, sycophants for the left and doing polis' work for them that they that's all they know. That's all they know. What's fascinating is that even to watch the professional who beat up on Democrats or Republicans for a living, you know, the Jason Salzman's of the world, they, they can't give up. You know, you know they're, they're beating up on any republican target. There are none left! And so, the story has to be the left on left. Uh, and that story is incredible. And sooner or later, My reporters only, are going to have
1: to look I at really it. I really agree with much of what you said. And then maybe there's even a column about it in the future. Given that my columns move mountains, <laughs> they,
0: ah. they do, indeed they do. But uh, but I'm talking about borders. My, my, my
1: only pushback would be: we still see politics, and maybe incorrectly, but we still see politics in a binary process—Republican, Democratic—and as long as that is the divide, and as long as Republicans—and I know what your audience is—and many of your audiences, uh, audience will be offended by this. But as long as Republicans seem to dabble in fantasy land, denial land, call it whatever you want land, it makes Democrats, even with the divide within Democratic ranks, look reasonable by comparison. So I still think there's a component in this of Republicans fixing their own ship. But having said that, I agree with a whole lot of what but, you just but said.
0: the binary has changed, and the binary is inside the progressive movement. Republicans don't matter, you know? And, and so when the, when the last election happened, I know a lot of Republicans, oh my God, how are we gonna fix the party? We're not gonna fix the party. Um, I've been seeing this happen for the last eight to 10 years, and I've been seeing what's been happening in the party I've already gone through the five stages of grief. I've gone through the whole Kubler-Roth thing years ago. And so, I've been at acceptance for many years. Many conservatives have not, and they're still at denial. And then they're gonna be at anger. But when you get to the other side, it's actually very peaceful. You know, grandma's in a better place now, and the party is gone. We are now in a post-Republican, maybe even a post-partisan Colorado. And when I said, we're going to start seeing unaffiliateds win, and then along comes Colorado Springs, we're going to start seeing a very different thing. Because I tell you, Coloradans are, yes, pro-choice, and now we have a pro-abortion Colorado. This governor signed a bill that outlawed an abortion reversal pill. Oh my God, it's now... Democrats that are up in women's women's uteruses, or is it uteri, and telling them they don't have a choice. It's not the crazy town Republicans who have taken away their choice, it's Democrats. Colorado is going to be a uh, pro-gay, pro-environmental, weed pro mushroom place and that's not going to change. But I am not convinced Colorado is a pro-tax and spend, pro-regulatory, pro-woke, pro-crazy energy price uh, place. And there's got to be a, there, voters want somebody that I, speaks I, that.
1: I, 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 I think not. not gonna, it's not going to be a Republican. I think you're not. It's not right. going to be a Republican. But I think whether it's Jared Polis or, you know, speakers of the House, presidents of the Senate, other senior people in Democratic leadership, they made a calculation, I can track it back maybe five, six years, that their majority in Colorado that really started building in 2004, and for the first after 2004, for the first five or six years, I think they, there was a feeling we have to be careful. We can't push it too hard. The majority might be tenuous. What's happened in the last five or six years is they think they're bulletproof. Yep. And you know what? They're probably right uh, that they are bulletproof here. I have one asterisk on that, which is the whole property tax issue. If there is a sleeper issue out there that I believe Jared Polis, as a, with finely tuned political antenna, is worried about, it's the property tax issue, and he the whole,
0: screwed the pooch on that it,
1: one. The whole potential for a California-style property tax revolt. If I was a Democratic strategist, and those days are 30 years in my past, but if I was a Democratic strategist, that was the one issue that would keep me up at night. But that aside, the majority is pretty, as you said, it ain't gonna be reversed anytime soon, and soon is a extended period. Um, and you know that leads to that leads to excess, that leads to arrogance, and that's not unique to the Democratic Party. Whenever there's one party government, it leads to excess and arrogance.
0: Not not the arrogance I've seen on this one. The the, the way they've treated uh, small businesses, the way they've treated witnesses, the way I, it is it is ugly. It, it is ugly, unlike anything I've seen. Hey, but when you're on the side of the Lord and doing the Lord's work, um, you know, your ugliness is excused, right? <laughs> Fair enough. All right, let's keep going. Okay. Since you brought up the other side, um, the Trump issue, and by the way, Trump Trump won Colorado in the last election. There's no no doubt about that. And, and Candy Siedebaka, just for the record, won her yeah, uh, I, mean, I don't think the council any reelection
1: that. that was also election. I don't, I don't think there's any doubt about that either. Um,
0: it is so worrisome to me that, uh, as you said before, we, we had Republicans before and they were, they were insurance salesmen and this and that, they were also squishes. You know, and we, it was so frustrating for me when we had Republican majorities and they wouldn't do anything of real reforms. Uh, and that's why, thank God, we had the initiative process to give us Tabor and, and term limits and other things that they would never deliver on. The Trump revolution, he was, and from a policy point of view, more transformative than Reagan when it came to policy change. Um, Uh, more damaging to the soul of the country when people look at a leader and expect Moses. And most people expect Moses. They want a religious leader as president. You do some of the deep dives and people want a spiritual leader. That's why they love Obama. That's why they love Reagan. Um, There's a spiritual side to this. Um, They also
1: love Bill Clinton and I don't think
0: anyone turned to Bill
1: Clinton for spiritual leadership. No, but they
0: want a representative of... I I know where you're going. And so now, but the disruption that was Trump, I went from a, a Trump detractor to a huge Trump supporter because of what he did on policy. And then after, after January 6th, it was, oh my God, you know, I, you can't, you just can't. And then, um, um, and now we have so many, from my point of view, great disruptors, policy disruptors. A list of candidates who would change policy in great ways um, and the only thing that's going to stop that is Trump. We are heading for a replay of of just epic stupidity, and at this point, the only thing that's going to stop it is uh, a brain aneurysm of a Biden or that uh, uh, Trump is in jail and can't can't run. Uh, are you seeing anything different? I, I no, I'm, I'm, it depresses me to no end. And if either one of them, uh, in the, uh, yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt, if either one of them cared about the nation and their policies first, one of them would step aside. And I,
1: I actually have a scenario where if one stepped aside, particularly if that one was Donald Trump, if Donald Trump was out of this race, either because he's in jail or he ate one too many double cheeseburgers, or whatever the cause was, I I think the pressure for Joe Biden to step aside as a Democratic candidate would be immense. The appeal of Joe Biden among Democrats is what they regard as the existential threat of Donald Trump, and not existential to liberal progressive policy, but really truly existential to the foundational roots of this country per January 6th, per other issues that that you and I well well know. Um, if uh, Joe Biden, I think, is doing this out of obligation to keep Donald Trump
0: away from the White House. Back to where you started, John, in terms of I don't quite understand that by the way. Because if, if he wanted if Biden wanted to keep Trump away from the White House. Wouldn't he step aside and have any younger, more popular person? Because such he is as, so su- such as anyone. He is so disliked. I think there is such a, as Jared Polis. A, such
1: as Jared Polis. I'm not sure. Jared Polis. I'm not. You know, it, 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 candidates can look good on paper, and the reality of candidates is something totally different. There is Gavin evidence. Gavin Newsom. Anybody. That there is evidence that. Joe Biden can beat Donald Trump. He did it once, and he did it by seven million votes and the similar electoral college tally that Trump beat Hillary by. Uh, I think Democrats are inclined to go with experience. Trump's appeal is, and the key states in that equation are where Joe Biden prospers. It's in Pennsylvania, it's in Michigan, it's in Wisconsin, it's in the old Rust Belt. And Joe Biden has, even in his old age, and even in his decline, I would say, he still has a resonance in those places. But if I can just dial back a sec. You know, you talked about how the problem with Republicans that we described from a different era where they were squishes. I guess I just want to play that back to you, which is, if you are a Democratic ideologue and you believe you're running a, instead of running a conservative free market, think tank, as you do, you're running a progressive think tank, you think the Democrats of that era, the Roy Romers, the Bill Ritters, and national figures as well, Mm -hmm. including Bill Clinton, were squishes. So, you know, maybe, maybe here's an argument for a little more squishy uh, governance where not everywhere not everything becomes an apocalyptic all or nothing
0: fight and i think we're into that now but biden is a progressive he has run everything he does is he does not stand up to the to the left is an i can look at everything that he puts his signature on and it is it is it's more leftist and leftist than leftist. This Joe guy, Biden
1: is a weather. I've always considered Joe Biden to be the ultimate weather vane of the Democratic Party across this country. Right. Wherever <laughs> the wherever <laughs> the Democratic Party is at any moment in time, you will find Joe Biden. And when the Democratic Party was much more "quote unquote" New Democratic, that led to Bill Clinton back in the nineties. Joe Biden was in that lane. And now that the, Democrat, the epicenter of the Democratic Party is, is with, more progressive the, with and the AOC progressive left, you will see Joe Biden cozying up to that,
0: uh, that point of view. And that's what, that's what leadership's all about. You got it. Let me run this by you, then we'll wrap it up. I don't think the left understands Trump. And they always seem to be doing favors for him. The first time around, they ridiculed him and gave him all sorts of airtime and turned him into, pres- into the president. I-, I believe NPR single-handedly made him president. But yeah. you know, CNN helped. Huh? CNN helped. You know, and they-, they didn't understand what they were doing. They ridiculed him, and they made him president. And they don't realize that the people who support him talk like him, and so they just gave him the microphone. I worry that these prosecutions against him uh, is exactly the fuel for the fire that, uh, that he needs to, to, to secure the nomination. Uh, and by the way, I was unconvinced that he could win re-election. I am not certain he, he won't win re-election Sadly, or re- re-election, depending <laughs> on your point of view. Sadly, I share your
1: concern about the prosecutions. I'm not suggesting the prosecution should not go forward, but I share your concern and I, particularly I think the New York case is the more marginal of the
0: cases. I think the uh, federal I case is the federal is, case I think was I agree with the Wall Street Journal. I think it was a dangerous precedent. And we to, still to haven't say, even dealt with
1: January sixth in the incitement. We haven't nah, we think haven't think dealt with Georgia. There was no, there we have no incitement
0: there. It was There's no there there.
1: We'll disagree. We haven't dealt with Georgia. I think there are potentially still stronger cases out there. All that said, I am with you that if Donald Trump is to be defeated, it has to be at the ballot box. The only way you really get rid of Donald Trump is with political defeat, not defeat in a court of law, because I think the risk is that that makes him stronger.
0: I don't know if I could vote for Biden. I think we are at such a crossroads financially, monetarily, um, uh, the danger, the economic danger, the business danger of any more of this insanity, spending debt insanity, I'm not saying. Um, it uh, went up under Trump twice as much as it's gone up under Biden, just for the record.
1: Uh, that's not the case, not the Seven trillion added to the debt under Trump 3.7 million added so far under Biden.
0: I'll argue on, on that, we'll pull up, the, we'll pull up that. Uh, but I am so concerned about that, I'm so concerned about the judges, I'm so concerned about other stuff. Um, I would be tempted, I'm not saying I will, I would be tempted. Uh, and what's scary on my part, on, you know, on this side, if, if it was DeSantis, if it was any one of these really impressive, if it was Nikki Haley, if it was any one of these impressive, impressive disruptors, we would get all this great policy and it would be a blowout. It would be a blowout up and down. It's, and I don't understand it. It's this fear of winning that I just don't quite get. Yeah,
1: I mean, Trump, I, I resisted forever and a day the notion that Trump was really a cult leader. And I guess I'm resisting that a little less now. I think there is, I've never seen a politician, I've never seen a disruptor like Donald Trump.
0: Both I for, both for I good and bad. It.
1: And I've never seen anyone who had both a hold on his own constituency like Trump has had, not even Ronald Reagan had that hold, not even Barack Obama on the other side had that hold. And I've never seen anyone who is so deep into the heads of his political opponents. Has Donald Trump.
0: Oh, the derangement is incredible. He has more of a hold of his opponents than he does of, of his followers.
1: But all that said, I do think, I mean, we are living in an authoritarian time around the world. You look at China, you certainly look at Putin, you look at Erdogan in Turkey, you look at Orban in Hungary. It bothers me, the conservative, quote unquote, conservative dalliance with Orban, who at his core is an authoritarian figure. You look at Poland, uh, North Korea goes without saying, I can go on and on, and India as well. And I worry very much, and I feel in my bones, that Donald Trump is of that ilk. And I guess my fundamental point, John, is, you know, yeah, I lean maybe center center right on most issues, on a few issues, uh, social issues, certainly on gay issues where I know people like you have long since you know, taking the libertarian approach, uh, but maybe I'm a little more classically left on those issues. But this country can survive conservative governance, and maybe even thrive under conservative governance. This country can also survive more moderate liberal governance. What this country can't survive is a further move toward authoritarian authoritarianism.
0: Let me respond to that because I think it's really important. It. It upsets me when people look at Trump and go, well, that's authoritarianism. It's not. And it's funny when, when you, we, I see people say, Trump, that's authoritarianism. And we look at the progressive left and we go, that's not. I think the threat of authoritarianism is far more from the left, from the cancel culture, from a woke agenda that is truly putting people out of work and taking away the right to free speech. I see a North Korean um, uh, uh, speech police and thought police coming out there. We've just seen that the system works. We had a guy who would love to be a tyrant, but the system works. The founder's system works. Yes, people went crazy. Yes, he tried every little thing he could. Where was he? he wasn't president, it didn't work, it won't work again. So I am not, the, the fear that people have, oh my God, he's gonna be this, is more trumped up. I, I saw, you know, everybody, everybody on the uh, right, you know, I find it fascinating, this whole Antifa thing, that Antifa is peaceful. And I'm going, that's such bullshit, you know. Um,
1: Ask the people in Portland about
0: that. Yeah, one. really. And so let, let, me, let me do the, the simple um, uh, uh, Hitler-Milt um, uh, Friedman comparison because obviously they're the same. So, uh, let's see. Uh, Milt Friedman is a Jew. Hitler tried to kill Jews. Uh, Friedman was anti-militaristic. Hitler uh, built up the military, very militaristic. Uh, uh, Friedman wanted no government control of the economy. This guy wanted government control of the economy. But yet, to the Antifa types that uh, we do, they're There's, one and the, the, the same. same. The, the, the Antifa, they are fascist, they are alt-right. They are alt-right. And so, you know, in, in my world, you know the, the the Jason Salzman's of the types and a lot of the the media types who are no oh, they're just you know how dare you say that they're you know they're the same as a KKK they're that they're violent but we're all painted as anti-fascist they're anti-antifa they're great so the fear of well you know all you guys are oh, it's fine if Trump becomes president you know what happens he becomes president and we have all these other systems to protect him from becoming king. And those systems work. I am not afraid of that. What I am afraid of is this system where from the bottom up, my daughter can't say these words. Where people who put up a Trump poster or say Trump at uh, work lose their fucking jobs. And they do. I, they come and tell me these things, and they do. They're scared to death to say it. They they are fearful of saying what they want to say for their jobs and their kids. That is fascism, and that is the authoritarianism that is brewing today. Not this one guy who everyone says is uh, a colt, and he's going to become uh, uh, ill. You know. I think, I think it is made right. up crap. I know we have to wrap this up. I
1: will respond- Please, no, take your by, time. Ha- by half agreeing, your time. half agreeing with you and half taking you on. The agreement is the authoritarian streak in the, on the left is absolutely as pronounced as that on the right. And they're cancel, doing it with
0: government money.
1: Fair enough. And cancel culture, there's cancel culture on the right as well, let's be clear. Not but with there, government money. But, but, the, but the, this whole notion of canceling free speech, uh, and we could go on and on. We could do another sixty minutes just on cancel culture and uh, and and everything associated with it. On the right, it's not it's not canceling speakers; it's banning books. I mean, you can, the the pendulum the, the pendulum, sw- the pendulum swings both ways. <laughs> but it's not taking somebody's job okay? Uh, in a uh, private company. As to Donald Trump, and we're going to agree to disagree on that, and what I've always loved about you, John, is you have good humor always. Um, uh, maybe not on Tabor issues, but <laughs> uh, but at least in our interchanges, and we agree on a very substantial amount of stuff. But with regard to Donald Trump, Yes, he didn't get away with it the first time, but damn it, it was not for lack of trying. For 200 and now going on 250 years, the hallmark of this country has been the peaceful transition of power from one president to another. He is the first to threaten and upend that peaceful transfer of power. Yes, the system ultimately held, maybe that goes to show not Trump's good intent, but just his... Lack of lack of being smart enough to pull it off. Lack of being a G or a Modi or yep. some of these other guys. No. And I do worry that his intent would be the same the second time around. But to make it worse, he would be a ratified because he just got reelected or elected for a second time. And B, he would be smarter and wiser from his point of view about how he went about it and who he
0: surrounded himself with. Quick response. One of the problems with this is that the other side was said with unfounded charges, completely unfounded charges of, of fraud. No, there were tons of founded charges. There were, it was all over the place. It didn't swing the election. I never said it did. Uh, okay. But for, for every reporter to smugly say, you know, with, uh, uh, with unfounded charges, no, there was mischief everywhere. Did it swing one electoral vote? Uh, I think it, I think I wouldn't be surprised if it swung Pennsylvania. In all honesty, I wouldn't be surprised if if it swung two states. Did it swing an election? No, no. Pennsylvania no went. I don't know the final number. It was over a hundred thousand votes. Oh, the, the, there's there is there is so much out there, okay. and there is enough mischief, and to say well there's no mischief. You're throwing for the first. It wasn't like Colorado that slowly stepped into mail-in ballots. The amount of you just throwing this crap out there—it's ballot harvesting without any sort of checks and balance. There is all sorts of hanky panky, and to 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 blindly say no, it was all great—that takes away the credibility on the other side. Yeah, there were lots of valid arguments about voter fraud. Enough to swing the election? I think not. But to to for every report, no, 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 not a thing. Is fuels the fire of why people mistrust the press so much. And it it really is one of the reasons why people go, this is why I can't trust the government, it's why I can't trust the press, and that's why he becomes more of a cult figure. It doesn't take away from the argument to go, yeah, there are problems here. Uh, and uh, to have voter ID, man, that would help us. To vote, it wouldn't hurt us you know, if you, you know, it wouldn't hurt, and here's why to do it. Here's uh, all these other things to, to prove it. You want that? You want this and the next? Life? Fine, we'll do that. That wouldn't wouldn't hurt. So make that and take away those arguments. I worry about a second administration because it becomes a revenge tour. Exactly. That That is is the bigger worry. And um, uh, that's why I, I wish we're... But that doesn't take away from the from the question that people don't seem to ask, which is, why is he becoming this cult hero? Why do people identify with that? What frustration do we have that cancel culture is such a bad thing that people are scared to death that they're willing to, to go, yeah, he did win this. And because no one wants to ask that question, he might win again. And there's part of me that goes, hmm, I wonder what that's gonna look like. I mean, and, yeah, be, and by the way, you know Andrew Jackson was just as divisive let's remember we had a civil war and so this is not the most polarized we've ever been and i believe the system is hardy enough i believe the real cancel the real ca- cancer in, in our society is not coming from Donald Trump Donald Trump is a, is an older man he's not going to live forever um, uh, he's there's not a religion that's based on him but this this institutionalized you can't say what you believe. You can't be who you are. Uh, you have to speak the environmental truth. You have to speak the woke truth. You have to do identity politics. You have to talk the privilege talk. Um, um, and and uh, the ESG, DEI, crap. Um, this is danger, as dangerous as hell. And it takes away the fundamental thing that our country was built on, free speech and disagreement. And we remember when the left, the left used to be the ones that said things like, I defend to my death your right to say it. And now they're, one, they're the ones that say, they used to say, uh, you're innocent until proven guilty. The ends don't justify the means. And now it's the left that say, the ends justify everything and that's how they won Colorado, and that's how they've won everything.
1: Quote, unquote, to a whole lot of what you just said over the last 30, 45 seconds. I could not agree more with your critique of the authoritarianism on the left and just the the transition that many on the left have gone through in this country over free speech issues, free association issues, uh, the obsession, and I call it obsession, almost religious in its dimensions, with identity and identity politics, et cetera. My only urging would be, you know, be half as critical when it rears its head on the right in the form of book bans, in the form of, uh, however it rears its head, because it does.
0: Where are book bans? That's easy.
1: I'm against all book banning, yeah. unless it's a book you write. That hasn't happened yet.
0: When oh, it does. I'll stick to the thousand word column. We gotta stop this. I know. This is fun. This is fun. We'll continue it over brew sometime. Let's Eric, do it. thank you so much. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode of Devil's Advocate, I hope you'll share it with a friend, and I hope you'll subscribe and follow the show. We have new ones released weekly. Remember, this audio was taken from our TV show. To watch it, just search the letters IITV for Independence Institute TV on YouTube for this and many other great conversations.